Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Thursday, December 8th. When you think of sports programming, most people think games. NFL, NBA, the World Cup right now, pick your league. But it's no secret that one of the most booming areas of the sports media business is the original programming around sports. Great original documentary series like 30 for 30 or The Last Dance. Less great originals like that Lakers show on Hulu or whatever Tom Brady Man in the Arena was on uh, ESPN+. Plus. Increasingly, the streaming services are getting in on this game. The F1 show on Netflix was gigantic. Amazon just launched a ton of nonfiction sports programming around the Thursday night football launch. HBO Max has a deal with this very company, The Ringer. And Apple is pursuing sports docs on a couple fronts, including a deal with Meadowlark Media, the company launched in 2021 by sports media personality Dan LeBetard, and our guest today, John Skipper. Skipper, as you might know, was the president of ESPN from 2012 to 2017, and he ran its content portfolio before that. After he left, he was the executive chairman of a global sports streaming service called DAZN. And now with Meadowlark, they're trying to become a player in the business of sports originals. They've got a new doc called Good Rivals about the U.S.-Mexico soccer rivalry that's on Amazon Prime and a bunch of other projects. We're talking about that business today, the original sports content business, and also Skipper's perspective on what's going on at ESPN, Bob Iger's return to Disney, F1, other sports media hot topics. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellamy, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with John Skipper, who's got his Meadowlark Productions and a new, an interesting new soccer docuseries that is out about the rivalry between USA and Mexico that is very timely with the World Cup going on right now. Uh, welcome, first of all. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy, appreciate being here. No problem. Uh, first, I, I want to hit a couple news topics here because as someone who worked at the Walt Disney Company for a long time and knows Bob Iger very well, I got to ask what you thought when you saw the headlines that he was coming back to be CEO at the company after unretiring yet again. Um, well, it made me smile, of course, <laughs> uh, because I have great affection for the company. I worked there for 27 years. I have great affection for Bob, um, who was very important to me in my career. I worked for him directly for the last six years of that career. 
And, uh, you know, Bob's been the greatest uh, media executive of the last 40, 50 years and um, has returned once again to um, to try to try to move the company into the digital age. And, you know, you couldn't have a better choice than Bob. But like just, you know him personally. Why do you think he wanted to do this? I mean, he went out on such a high note with the company firing on all cylinders. And, you know, now the past three years have been a little bit tougher. Why, why, what is it about his psyche that makes him want to come back and do this? Uh, look, I think that Bob is completely genuine when he says he loves the Walt Disney Company. I think he regards the company's fortunes as intertwined with his fortunes. And I think he That's believes. That's true. That he uh, is a shareholder, a big one. Yes. And I think he believes, and I believe he is accurate, that he is probably best suited to try to navigate the next couple of years. Uh, they're quite tricky. I think he enjoys it. Uh, Bob never didn't enjoy his job. He didn't enjoy some of the sort of, you know, quarterly earnings calls and some of the administrative stuff and layoffs. But he's always loved reading the scripts for the next Star Wars movie and the next Pixar movie and giving notes on things. He loves sports and he loves the business of talking to the commissioners and being engaged with the NFL and the NBA. I think he's generally had a good time when he's worked at the Walt Disney Company. So he's back uh, for another run. And uh, it's hard to walk away from a position like that. Uh, yeah, I, I would be very interested in my yacht also. But then again, that's why I'm not the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Um, <laughs> you mentioned sports and how much Iger loves sports. You know, what do you think he's going to do with ESPN? I mean, there's so much speculation out there. The, the business is a lot more challenged than when you were there. The rights fees keep going up. The cable bundle keeps going down. ESPN Plus is growing, but it hasn't quite replicated. Um, what do you think happens there? Um, well, first is I've never understood the speculation that Disney would spin ESPN off. I don't know what problem that solves. Uh, it, it remains the greatest source of cash flow. They have some capital intensive businesses like the park business where you have to build expensive rides, the film business where you have to make expensive movies, you have to deficit finance. They definite deficit financed a lot of M&A activity, a lot of park rides, and a lot of movies um, off of the ESPN cash flow. I think they'll continue doing that. People talk about the troubled ESPN business. It's not troubled. It's just not a rocket ship <laughs> of profits anymore because of the challenges of navigating the transition from pay television and over-the-air television and analog businesses into digital. It's a great business. Um, they spin it off. They're a smaller company, which also makes them more susceptible to uh, being bought. I don't think uh, the company has ever wanted to sell itself, though I do believe uh, that in this return, uh, a combination of sorts, so I won't even call it an acquisition with Apple, cannot be... Uh, an impossibility. Oh, really? You think that 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 Iger might have come back to do one last great deal, and he will be the last CEO of the Walt Disney Company? Um, I'm not sure I would have put it that way, but look, Bob is a big thinker, and he will do what he thinks is best 
for the shareholders and for the combination of assets which Disney holds. And they will have to contemplate whether being combined with a larger entity and a sort of tech content entity is a good idea. Bob didn't come back without some idea of what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my guess is it will be transformational. Remember, when he became the CA the first time, he right away came, he went into that job with the idea that he was going to smooth over the relationship with Pixar and by that re energize the animation uh, at ESPN. He's come, I mean, at um, at Disney, he's come back with some plan in mind. He didn't come back going, well, I'll look around and see what I'm going to do. Right. The hardest thing for him might be to pick a successor if he needs to. You think he'll be okay there? Or you think, he, you know, he's got a, a little bit of a mandate now, whereas before it was a little bit of a mushy situation. Look, he uh, he may be comparable to Steve Jobs here, right? Steve Jobs <laughs> didn't go so well when Steve turned the company over to somebody else. Uh, he came back and stayed forever. And uh, I think Bob is in that category of leader. And um, uh, he might well be the last CEO of the Walt Disney Company. I don't think the successor thing is obvious. One of the things that that sort of dovetails with what you're doing now is this notion of original programming in the sports world. And that's something that I think presents a challenge for ESPN right now because the rights fees are so expensive. And ultimately, Disney knows that ESPN is valued and gets its carriage fees and gets its ratings from those big ticket sports rights deals. Do you think that ESPN will continue to invest in this sort of ancillary original programming around the rights, around the sports games? I think that they will continue to spend a greater and greater proportion of their dollars for sports rights. Now, that happened even when I was there. Right. Uh, when I came in, it was about 50 55%. Uh, the expenses were sports rights. It rose to 70 It's going to go up more. We didn't. We did all that non-live rights content because we had to fill hours and hours and hours for eight, nine, ten channels. We needed to put something on. We weren't in the business of running vacuum cleaner commercials overnight or rerunning a bunch of stuff over and over and over again. Uh, they no longer need to do that, right? They are going to they're going to shut they've already been shutting down some channels. And there just is no reason to do expensive studio programming at three or four or five o'clock in the afternoon anymore when the basis of their business is live sports rights. So it means fewer well-paid sports center anchors and probably fewer bigger ticket, ambitious documentary series. Is that right? At least the ones that they make themselves. Uh, Yes, I think that is right. And again, that's one of the reasons... Uh, the theses for starting this company, because I don't think that is going to be limited to ESPN, right? All of the NBC Sports is is downsizing some of their original content, uh, CBS, all the major companies are, and I think that will lead to opportunity for third parties to, to uh, make content for the traditional media companies and additional streaming companies, uh, whereas before the sports companies wanted to sort of do all of their own show shoulder programming, their own studio shows, I think they will increasingly outsource some of those things. And 
you've said in the past that you think that non-live event sports content is still underrepresented, especially on streaming services, but in the entire TV ecosystem. Why do you say that? I think that um, certainly there's a plethora of live rights. In the streaming services, they are overwhelmingly run by entertainment executives who <laughs> don't really understand sports. There is no better way to reach men than to have sports. And sports was great programming for ESPN at subscription, subscription retention. It's still some of the best content and some of the most important content on ESPN Plus of the old 30 for 30s. So right. there is a reason to do sports content. Um, and I thought there was a void in the market of people who really understood, who had the relationships, who understood how to tell great stories and great sports stories resonate with both sports fans and non-sports fans. Yeah. I mean, I watched last dance with my wife. Like I, if it's good, it can really resonate and hit, hit both men and women. I feel like. We tried to make good rivals in a way that if you, even if you weren't a dramatic soccer fan of the U.S. and Mexican national teams, you would care about it because we used the film as a way to talk about the relationship between the two countries, the geopolitical history of the countries, the border, uh, the sort of politics in the last few years, because it's a subject we thought would, would not only be for soccer fans during the World Cup, but would be for other people who are just interested in the relationship between the two countries. Yeah, and I feel like that is sort of the innovation of 30 for 30. And I know Bill and Connor have talked a lot about that. It was just bringing the lens of the sports world on something that is larger than sports. And if you can tell those types of stories, I think it really resonates. Uh, yeah. so, so you guys have a first look deal at Apple TV. How mm -hmm. does that work? They they have the option to buy stuff, but then you could you take you take the stuff they don't buy out to the market. Like you have this, for instance, you have this uh, series, this Sports Explains the World series, which is sort of thirty for thirty esque. Why isn't that on Apple? They just they they pass it and now you sell it to whoever wants to buy it. Our deal with Apple, which we're very thrilled about, and uh, provides us money to do development on projects. The quid pro quo is if they provide us that money, they get the first look sure. and have the opportunity with specified business terms to buy things from us. Uh, we're very excited about some of the things we're working on. We haven't announced anything uh, from Apple. But yes, if they pass on things, we can take them to other parties, as we did with Good Rivals uh, and sold to Amazon. Right. And uh, so we love the deal. We love working with them, but we like the freedom that if they do pass, I did not want to do an all-in deal with anybody. Right, where they control everything you do, and if they pass, it just kind of languishes. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. 
A lot of people think that the interest of the streaming services in this kind of sports-oriented content, whether it's Netflix doing the F1 show or some of these shows that are on Hulu with like the Lakers doc or what you're doing at Apple, that that suggests that these streaming services are going to become the hubs for all sports content moving forward. That eventually all the sports we watch on ESPN and NBC Sports and Fox and all these other linear outlets will be gobbled up by the big three, the big four of the streamers. And this is just their toe in the water to get their audiences interested in sports. And then like with what Amazon is doing with Thursday Night Football and then having all the shoulder content of chat shows around it, these are going to be the sports players of the next 20, 30 years. You agree with that? I was recently confronted with a quote I made in 2012 where I said, <laughs> I'm not really worried right now about the streamers coming in. And somebody said, what do you think now? I said, I think I was right in 2012. Uh, right now, yeah, if I was in uh, the traditional media business and had sports, which are the most important thing on my linear networks, sports right now are having a boom, right? They just had the highest rated um, Sunday football, Sunday night football game of all time. Yeah, I'll ask you about that in a second, but yeah, finish your thought. So, but yeah, I, I believe that if you look at what people are, are most passionate about, sports is currently the glue still holding together the pay TV universe. These streaming services are going to realize that subscriber retention when you have sports rights with seasons that are eight, nine, 10 months long are going to be an extraordinarily effective way to retain their subscribers. They're going to realize that the price elasticity for what people are willing to pay to watch their favorite teams play is very high. And yes, I think that some significant portion of sports will migrate over the next 10 to 15 years to the streaming platforms. We're seeing, I think, we saw the, I, I, in 2012, I was talking about the last round of right deals that would be done without the streamers. Mm -hmm. Now, almost all the major leagues will have a streaming component in the current deals. And in the next deals, I think the balance of where the rights go will shift into the big streaming services because of the value that sports have as a driver of subscriptions and a retainer of subscribers. Well, the big one that's up next is NBA. And I think there's a lot of speculation that Iger is going to try to get the league to give ESPN part of the package and then whatever streaming component he wants part of the package. Do you think that will work out or do you think the league will try to bring in a number of different services? So ESPN will have some and then it'll be another streamer that outbids Disney for the streaming rights. Look, I think that NBA is essential content for ESPN. Mm -hmm. uh, that they will renew a package, and that package will have some increases in the content they can put on ESPN+. Plus. My guess would be the NBA will still expect the finals and most of the playoffs to be available on a pay TV or over-the-air service. Yeah. I think it's pretty close to essential content for Turner. I think they'll try to renew a package as well. They'll try to get some rights to move some of that into their streaming service. Well, that's, I mean, that's what's really going on here, right? Because David Zasloff just said last month, we don't need the NBA. But that's kind of bullshit in my estimation that he, he kind of does need the NBA. He just wants the NBA to live on multiple Warner-owned platforms, right? 
Yes, and um, <laughs> Adam has always been a forward thinker. I do not believe that Adam Silver. this. Yeah, and in the last round of deals, David Levy and I at Turner were quite intent on preventing there being a third package. So we negotiated deal that didn't require Adam to go to a third package to reach his goals. He's going to go to a third and maybe even a fourth package here. Right. He's not going to exit this round of negotiations without bringing in almost certainly either Amazon or Apple and potentially both. It wouldn't surprise me if they went to four packages. Yeah, that seems to make the most sense. I mean, the league seemed to be trying to have as many of these powerful companies invested in the success of their league as possible, right? Yes. They want to put their bets down because no one really knows how this is all going to shake out. Correct. And this, they want to, and they also want to learn, right? The NFL did a very smart thing taking Amazon to Thursday night. Mm -hmm. uh, they knew that the viewership would go down temporarily doesn't matter. What they are is they're learning about the technology. They're learning about how fans respond. It's getting them to a generation of fans who don't have pay television. So um, Adam's going to do the same thing. They want to understand it, uh, what's going on. So there'll be a package. And most most in the future, most leagues will end up with a package or some kind of digital, uh, some kind of digital component. You know, the interesting thing about Meadowlark is that you guys have said you want to do sports content and then non-sports content. Why is that? I mean, you, you've, your whole career has been in sports. Why, why do you want to do, you know, regular scripted shows and things like that? Because uh, I'm interested in creative endeavors. I enjoy trying to figure out how to do new things. And uh, I did actually start in the magazine publishing business. Oh, that's right. Uh, at Rolling Stone, and then it spins. So probably second for us will be something music, something in music. I like uh, news and politics and social issues. So it's just intellectual curiosity and stimulation. And at this point in my life where uh, I'm probably at least halfway through it, um, that's a joke, of course, uh, <laughs> unless I'm going to live to 120. You never know these days. You never know. Uh, I do know. I run into these tech executives who think they might buy – by taking ice baths and eat, and drinking celery juice, they might live forever. They're not going to live forever. Mm. So you mentioned the ratings for sports this season in particular and how everything is seems to be up. Is that just because Nielsen is now taking account of out-of-home viewing? So these games are getting bumps. But you look at what's going on with football on Sundays, with, with Monday Night Football, even the college games on Saturdays. Um, you know, I, I feel like... As the bundle and the ecosystem of pay TV declines, people tend to, uh, there seem to be gravitating towards these big tentpole events in greater numbers, maybe because there's less available elsewhere. Um, I, th I, do th I think there's two major factors. Uh, the first is absolutely a sociological one. I do think in a highly polarized time when people can't agree on anything and where people like to talk to each other the next day about something they communally were engaged in, about the only choice is sports right now. It mm -hmm. can be the Academy Awards, but it, it's about the only choice. Yeah, uh, that, so and I even that's tough. The Oscars are polarizing these days. You can yes. be watching and all of a sudden the first 
the first person who wins goes on a five minute political speech. Yeah. So, so I think it's a communal longing to share something. And I think sports is about the last thing left. Two is what you mentioned before. Media companies are extraordinarily good, extraordinarily good at protecting their uh, business with research. And yes, I think uh, Nielsen's business is providing data to companies so that they can sell advertising and create uh, create value. And I think they've found some clever ways to measure out-of-home audiences and digital audiences that allows the numbers not to decline. It was always kind of weird, though, that those people were not counted. I mean, how many of us go to our local bar to watch our team? And for many years, Nielsen just ignored that. We uh, with ESPN, we used to uh, spend a lot of time talking about out of home because it again, sports is one of the prime beneficiaries of out of home being measured, and so we always provided data, which Artie Bulgren, the master of res- sports research, would provide the data that showed that while Nielsen says we have a hundred people watching, we really have one hundred and forty five. So all they've done now is Nielsen is providing that data themselves so that ESPN doesn't have to. Yeah. All right, five years, where do you want Meadowlark to be? What's success for you with this company? Look, uh, for me, success at this company is that while we are a business-to-business brand, not a consumer brand, that like Imagine and Pixar and A24 and other great content producers, people know, oh, Meadowlark. That's going to be the Dan LeBetard show, and that's high quality. That's going to be Good Rivals. That was an outstanding documentary, and that uh, crazy skipper managed to get himself into scripted, and I love that new series that's on somewhere. It's a metal art series. I, I want to have some level of reputation that we create superior content across a number of genres, that it's a fun place to work. We're overtly progressive. Uh, I want people to know you can start a company and everybody can benefit if it becomes more valuable. Everybody has stock in this company. We have a very diverse workforce. I cared about that at ESPN. I care here. It's showing that the best companies are made of people from different backgrounds with different kinds of uh, um, uh, preferences in terms of how they choose to lead their lives. And that's what I'd like to do in the next three to five years. I think there's a lane here. I definitely think there's a lane for smart companies to be independent production powerhouses when the traditional outlets are so strapped in this time. They're they're really looking at what is essential for us and a lot of this stuff that maybe, I mean, we're seeing it at CNN where they're getting rid of their originals. We're seeing it, I think, at ESPN quietly. They There is a way for companies to come in here and provide these shows uh, that some of these outlets aren't making anymore. Um, one, one thing I, one trend I want you to hopefully reverse is I don't like it when the athlete is the producer on his own show or her own show. And I know why it happens. I know that when I'm watching a Serena Williams docuseries that this has been vetted and <laughs> completely quote produced by her team. How do we get away from that? How do we, how do you argue to these athletes who are so coddled that if you want something like the last dance, you have to give up some control and you have to allow a filmmaker to have some objectivity on the subject. Uh, or has that ship sailed? Um, I think like all things 
the pendulum swings far one direction and then back the other direction, what is true, and I participated in it. Uh, remember, I started Rolling Stone. There was once a famous song by Dr. Hook in the Medicine Show, the cover of the Rolling Stone, where people begged Rolling Stone to be on the cover. Uh, people used to want to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We've had a swing now where appropriately people have said, I want to tell my own story. Mm -hmm. I want to have control of that. I don't want to give that control to somebody else. It will swing back because you get a better story with journalists, with writers. You get a better story where you can tell all sides of the story, make it nuanced. So what it is one thing we long to do at Meadowlark. I, I embrace that people want to tell their own story. They want to be engaged in it somehow. But I want to build trust. So we say, trust us. We can do that for you, but we can make a better film, which will better represent you. It will not be a puff piece. We're going to have to discuss some things that are complicated. You've got some issues that we 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 need to incorporate, and that will. And I, I do believe the pendulum will swing back that way hmm. at some point. I hope it does. You and I know it's a better story, but I feel like some of these athletes and their teams, they look at these projects and they think it's a big win because they have told the story themselves. It's just, they, they come and go. They're not like that. You know, the, the, the Lakers thing on Hulu, it's like, you can tell, you can tell when they are shaping their own story and when it's an objective observer coming in. And I, I hope you, uh, I hope you have some success in getting the trust of these people to, um, to let you tell the real story. Yeah. Look, Matt, earlier we were talking about, um, uh, most of the streaming companies run by executives who aren't particularly conversant in sports or it's not their first level of interest. What if, if that's the case, what do you migrate to? You migrate to things that seem certain. So you care about the big names. You want to get the big teams to get that access. You do have to make some compromises. Eventually they'll figure out because I do always believe in the power of stories. And that's what people want out there. They want to be, they want to trust that, that what they're getting is nuanced and smart and complex and thoughtful and not uh, an un has having some underlying marketing reason or part of an overall sort of brand sponsorship that where I make my own content, my own biopic, my own biography. That 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 at the highest end of this, Michael Jordan, that thing kind of works. It doesn't work for very many people, and ultimately, I do believe there'll be a correction. All right. Well, all the agents and PR people who listen to this show, hopefully they will be uh, be more willing to take a risk and to say to the client to take a risk. Um, all right, John Skipper, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Matt. Enjoy it. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, do you have Avatar Fever yet? I do. I can't wait. I saw the reviews. <laughs> They're not reviews. Keep in mind that these reactions from the first screening that came out last night most of those are people who are like junketer type critics or fan bloggers or fan sites where there's kind of an expectation if they get to see these movies early, they will tweet something glowing. About yeah, but you it. know so, what? Everybody hates on Avatar and it's more fun to be excited about it. It's more fun. 
No, and there were some legitimate people. Like there was a Atlantic critic who said he loved it, and there were some others that I trust a little bit more. But let's wait until the real critics review this movie before we declare it best picture. I enjoy the narrative that Jim Cameron keeps defying the odds. Yes, I do enjoy I that narrative as well. <laughs> and I've talked to many people who have seen it uh, who say it's great. You know, a little long, maybe a little thin on story. A little long, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We're going to see it next week. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the box office for the rest of the year of the movies that are not Avatar. Because that's where it gets interesting this season. Avatar obviously going to be huge. But my prediction today is that there is going to be a sneaky hit in the Puss in Boots sequel. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is a follow-up to the 2011 Puss in Boots movie, which was 2011. itself. 2011? This movie's the animated version of Avatar, 11 years in the making. Yeah, and worth every penny. No, I have actually seen it. It's very fun. My kid loved it. But that movie itself was a spinoff of Shrek. So this is a sequel to a spinoff, right? Right. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. It's like Minions. Sequel to Minions 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's also released by Universal. This is DreamWorks Animation, not Illumination, but it is a Universal animated movie. I think this movie is going to be pretty big. Uh, just there's nothing else out there for families over the holidays. And like in the movie business, the, the saying is that around Christmas, every day is a Saturday. So these movies can rack up pretty big box office, even though you don't see it coming. And all of a sudden it's first week of January and you're like, what? That movie grows $200 million. Um, I think that movie this season will be the Puss in Boots sequel. Well, and actually what's interesting about Puss in Boots is it, it was not a spinoff of the original Shrek. It's a spinoff of Shrek 2. Right. Puss in Boots was not in the first one. So no. it's a spinoff of a sequel. Wait, sorry. So it's yeah. a sequel to a spinoff of a sequel. Correct. Which I don't, I can't imagine has been done many times. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, someone please tweet at, tweeted us if you can think of a sequel to a spinoff of a sequel. What a coup for Universal. Animation or live action. Well, this is why they bought DreamWorks Animation. I mean, they paid, I forget what it was, but it was a couple billion dollars to buy DreamWorks Animation. And this was the library they got. They got the whole Shrek universe. So $3.8 is what M NBC Universal paid for DreamWorks Animation. And that was in 2016. So they've gotten some good value out of that. The movie's good. I think kids are going to love it. I think families will like it. And over the holidays, if it's not Avatar, it's probably going to be this. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank John Skipper for coming on the show. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.